You're listening to the Eyes on Conservation podcast, episode 141. Welcome to the Eyes on Conservation podcast, where we bring you engaging conversations about wildlife and conservation issues from all across the globe. I'm Matt Podolsky, and I'll be your host for today's episode of the show. Some of you may have heard about a particularly troubling issue that we've been dealing with here in Idaho, where I live, for the past several years. Censorship of Idaho's science standards. This has become a national issue because although other states have proposed removing supposedly controversial topics such as climate change from their state science standards, Idaho is actually the only state in the country whose legislature has actually voted in favor of such an action. This debate over what kids here in Idaho should be taught has been going on for three years now, and it will likely all come to a head this week as the Idaho Senate Education Committee is set to make its decision. The lower house of the state legislature already voted in favor of removing significant sections of these new science standards, including references to climate change. I spoke with Rielan Flores from Conservation Voters for Idaho to get a detailed picture of this issue and to learn how she has been fighting to keep climate science in the science standards here in Idaho. I was also able to attend last week's Idaho Senate Education Committee hearing, during which public testimony was given by a diverse array of citizens, all of whom were encouraging the senators to vote in favor of keeping climate science in the science standards. You'll hear a few snippets from this public testimony in today's episode, in addition to the interview with Rielan. So my name is Rielan Flores. I am the program director here at Conservation Voters for Idaho. I've been with CVI for two years now. This is my third legislative session. As the program director, I head up our legislative agenda and strategy at the State House between January and March. And then I also manage our other programs, whether it's a voter registration or some of our electoral work. So uh, mentioning electoral work, obviously, I think is a bit different coming from a conservation group. But what CVI does differently than most organizations is that we really work to create the political environment that protects the natural environment. So that means, well, you know, doing my best through January, uh, January through March to pass legislation to protect our clean air, clean water, public lands, some clean energy stuff, We also think about alternative transportation issues um, or defending really bad bills. We also try to find the elected officials across the political uh, spectrum that support our issues so that we can change up the makeup of that environment so we can start doing um, more long-term work and creating power for the conservation movement. Awesome. Awesome. And really important work. Um, And, and, um, and I mean, I'll just mention, I mean, also like, I mean, you guys are also doing education and outreach in the community and Mm -hmm. helping, you know, uh, sort of explain to people what's going on in the Idaho legislature. I mean, you do awesome uh, sort of live (laughs) legislature updates, and we appreciate you agreeing to do this little live stream here Mm -hmm. in addition to the podcast Mm -hmm. interview. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's fantastic. Um, I mean, tell me a little bit about uh, the organization that you work for, Conservation Voters for Mm -hmm. Idaho. I mean, what's what's the origin story here? Uh, so Conservation Voters for Idaho started about 12 to 13 years ago, and I, it was when leaders from different from the conservation community across the state were looking at um, the uphill battle, right? Continuing to show up in their communities, bring folks together, trying to do the hard work of finding collaboration around the issues that we face, um, especially considering our natural resources, 
and they weren't getting very far or they were having wins, but they weren't aligning to long-term gains, right? You'd win in one community and you would backslide in five others. So what could we do by dynamically changing the environment? And the environment was the political environment that we do this work in. Obviously, I don't think it's much of a surprise that uh, Idaho is a, a conservative state. It is uh, uh, the the Republican Party has a supermajority in the state house. They also have a, a lot of control in counties across the state and at the city level as well. Um, so we had needed to find ways that we could shape those environments. Again, we we find candidates, we support them, and we find them to to help them win an election, whether at the city, county, or state level. Um, and so it's kind of, again, shaping the political environment so that we can do this work more long term. And in the beginning, it was just one, two staffers. And it was, you know, rating bills and letting Idahoans know how their elected officials were voting on issues. So that education piece originally, right? Letting folks know what was going on at the state house because that can feel like a big mystery sometimes. Hard following the issues, hard tra- tracking bills, hard knowing when um, their voices made a difference in the process. So there was this legislative scorecard that they started using to let folks know how people were voting and what was going on. And then we we grew the staff and we grew the organization and we started thinking about how do we in real time connect voters, not post legislative session and know what happened, but in real time, let them know, hey, there's a bill coming up around clean water. It's going to be a hearing on Wednesday at 1.30. Would you like to testify? Would you like to submit testimony? Would And if you can't, can you get a hold of your elected official today and tell them why that matters to you? Um, and the reason why that work, I think, is so successful is because we've seen time and time again, no matter the political makeup, no matter the ideology of this state, conservation values are Idaho values. We just saw recently with the Colorado College poll that was for the very first time included Idaho. For the longest time, that there's just sort of this been hole um, in their survey, you know, Montana, Nevada, Utah, Colorado, Wyoming, New Mexico, around values in the West on conservation issues. And this was the very first time they decided to include Idaho. And when they did, the numbers um, proved overwhelmingly um, that Idahoans support conservation issues. Over 90% of Idahoans get in the outdoors and use our public lands. You know, obviously, you know, air, water, and land are inherent into what it means to live in Idaho uh, and our quality of life and how we raise our families um, and how we envision ourselves in our communities. So leveraging those values that we know exist in our community to communicate to legislators so that we can let them know, right, that they are representing their voters and their voters are actually conservation voters, um, and then, you know, post post the votes that their elected officials choose to make, whether in support or opposition of, of our policies, um, letting the voters know that there's an election coming up. And if their elected official didn't, so, you know, listen to them or didn't reflect the values of their community, that they have an opportunity to elect somebody else. So I will say this is exciting work. I love doing it. We also I mean, we have a we have a voter outreach team that is here four nights a week calling voters four hours every night, talking. I mean, we in one night they can speak to over 1,200 voters. Um, And so the ability to get our message and to talk to folks and hear what they're saying too, it's not, I mean, it's not us pushing our position. It's like, hey, this is coming up. Do you have concerns? You know, what do you think about 
you know, any challenges to ch- changing emissions testing, right? And the concerns for air quality and and thinking about your kid's asthma and what does that mean? Um, so h- helping them connect the values and the issues and then giving them an opportunity to act. In a state where sometimes I think the conservation community externally might see itself as minimalized, it's really empowering and inspiring to be here and hear their voices on the other side of the line and, and really having an understanding that we're actually quite larger um, than, than, than we tell ourselves or than, than we sometimes see reflected at the state house. Um, and I, I think we have growing power and growing opportunity to make lasting change so that we come together um, with our communities, both rural and urban, that we come together with the timber industry and mining industry and, and uh, the people who are living in rural economies and teachers and, you know what I mean? And, and it's, it's the Idaho way of doing things, which, you know, I appreciate that I get to do this work in this sort of environment. While it's not always the easiest of days, um, especially since we're in week six of the legislative session right now, um, I remind myself that while I may sometimes be a lone voice in the committee room testifying for or against a piece of legislation, there's a large community um, that are that are standing behind me um, that also feel this way on these issues. So, yeah, absolutely. I mean, and and he brought up a few really fascinating points, right? Which I mean that that survey you mentioned mm-hmm. um, about sort of conservation values mm-hmm. of voters in Idaho, I mean, is really interesting, right? And I mean, yes, we're in Idaho, sixty percent public land. Even people who are maybe registered Republicans, like they're hunters, right? They yeah. still get out in that public land and they still appreciate that. And I mean, I think that's something that is, you know, uh, I, that's a shift that I've seen happen just over the last few years mm-hmm. of like, you know. Uh, hunters with conservative values standing up and saying, no, we support public lands. You know, we support this public lands issue. Absolutely. Right. And I mean, that is like, that's like a, a really important step, I think, towards, you know, uh, bringing these, uh, bringing people together. Right. right. Getting through the polarization of the mm-hmm. politics that can sometimes exist behind conservation issues or environmental yes. issues. I mean, last year, the public lands rally, mm-hmm. March 4th, Idaho Day. Yeah. Nearly 3,000 Idahoans, you know, converging on a Saturday. It was raining that morning and seeing the broad spectrum of, you know, the fifth generation Idahoan decked head to toe in camo, standing next to the urban environmentalists wearing skinny jeans and like their reusable bag, you know, standing next to the quiet birder who's just like here to want, want, find peace out, you know, in the wild places, all standing out there and saying like, no, this is our Idaho. These are our public lands and we'll push back. Um, standing side by side by maybe not our normal partners, but um, it is, again, the, the landscapes, the land and the resources are inherently connected to our livelihoods and the way that we raise our families um, and our quality of life. And that re- and and the poll showed that as well, like they could see on the back end, the, those who answered the poll were conservatives. And so, you know, it was conservative voters because Idaho has conservative voters. It was a mirror of our population. And seeing that how strongly that those values came through um, is a reminder that we're trending on the right side. We're just we're we're moving in that direction. It just takes continual work. Right. And I mean, it's uh, so I mean, I'm just curious to you. You've touched on this a little bit, but, you know, yes, we recognize that in a certain respect, it seems like things are moving in a mm-hmm. good direction. Um, people are coming together. And yet, like, what is going on in our state legislature, <laughs> right? And I mean, it's, you know, it, 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 it seems like despite 
you know, the fact that we are now recognizing that like real people are actually coming together um, and agreeing yeah. on some conservation issues. It seems like the folks that represent us in the state house, you know, it's feels like that it feels like, and maybe I'm wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, it feels like that hasn't changed. Uh, you know, I would agree with you. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, there must be a lot. Of I would agree with you. It's a very because... different environment from going to the collaboratives and, mm-hmm. and go traveling across the state and speaking to communities around these issues. What I hear outside of the state house is very different from what I hear inside of the state house. And I think that's because of that environment. It's very unique, right? You've got elected officials that have been there for years. I think there was a study that was done in 2011. We had not only one of the oldest legislatures in the country, but like folks who had been around for the longest period of time. Um, And so they've been doing work in that environment and they've seen these issues over and over and they've had the, they have the political fights in the state house, which is sometimes to the detriment to the to the everyday Idahoan, right? It gets into the politics instead of focusing on making good policy that reflects the values of the communities. Um, I know we actually just saw a memorial pass the Senate, which it's a memorial; it's not non-binding. But we saw a memorial pass the Senate yesterday that said no new wilderness or monuments in the state of Idaho without strict consent of Congress or and the state legislature. Uh, this and and the language is it, language in it was heavy handed. It was the old school days of industry and environmentalists, you know, taking their toys away, walking away from the table, and and fighting each other, you know, throwing rocks. And that's just not the reality of what is happening out on the landscapes today. Right. We right. see in collaboratives, you know, groups like the Idaho Conservation League filing briefs in support of timber because they've sat together and negotiated and made a comprehensive plan and working with the federal agencies and working with the county commissioner. Um, so the the hard work of of finding common ground is is happening in in real life. The the politics are still ugly on these issues, and right. that's what's happening at the state house. Right. But I mean, Idaho politics hasn't always been crazy like this, right? I mean, Cecil Andrus mm-hmm. used to be our governor. Um, you know, I am a part of this super cool like friends group for the Morley Nelson Snake River Birds mm-hmm. of Prey National Conservation Area. Mm-hmm. And I've been learning all about like the history of the designation of that National Conservation Area. And like there was bipartisan support for that, yeah. like both nationally and locally mm-hmm. at that time. I mean, yes, sir, obviously some people still opposed it, but like, you know, that became an NCA, yeah. you know, to for a national conservation area it has to be an right. act of Congress, right? Um, do you have any sort of insight into like why there's this discrepancy between what's going on in the world of politics mm-hmm. in our state and what's going on like in reality on the ground as far as like what real people think, you know? Yeah. I mean and and I mean I'm 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 getting, you know, I'm I'm sort of alluding to is this because of uh, money in politics and how campaigns are run? Um, or is there like, what what's going on here? I think there's some of that. I also think something that happened particularly and that we've seen that's changed that the atmosphere in that building was when they closed the Republican primary. Ah, uh, okay. In 2012, they closed the Republican primary. And mm-hmm. because of that, you saw so many Idahoans who maybe generationally have identified as Republicans, but are very independent and didn't necessarily want to check a box at the polling station next to their neighbor, next to their boss, you know, next to the person they went to high school um, and are choosing not to participate in the primaries. 
And so closing the primary, just so people understand, like, yeah. is that like only people who are registered Republicans are allowed to vote in mm-hmm. the Republican primary, right? Mm-hmm. Whereas before, if you were independent, um, mm-hmm. you could vote in that primary, yep. right? Yep. Absolutely. And so um, it, it changed the dynamic of the electorate, of those who voted on primary election days, right. which in a state that is, um, you know, a majority Republican, a majority conservative, those people who may have interest, you know, they may not choose the the more far right extreme person who's the ideologue, who's going to fight the political fight in the state house and not necessarily work to find policy that makes sense for their community, will make it through that process. And then we'll obviously make it through the November general. So that has changed the landscape a little bit. And then some of it is, you know, part of us as a, as a conservation community, being able to speak across across the political divide, right? Again, leveraging the issues, talking about home, telling our stories, talking about the impact and not, you know, shying away from the partisanship of it because then we don't get voters who vote on their values at the polls, right? Because they're just using their party to help signify who they should be voting for, Um, which is going to be a tradition for most folks, whether Republican or Democrat. I mean, that unfortunately is the the democratic process. I mean, not unfortunately, but that is the reality of it. However, we can do more to talk about what's at stake at the ballot box, especially when it comes to conservation issues. And for those folks who identify, obviously, we saw in this poll, who are conservative, that hold conservation values, they need an option to vote for also a conservation-minded Republican during the Republican primary. Or at least, you know, somebody who understands large landscapes and the the challenges with managing them, right? And that it is collaborative, you know what I mean? And And it is about bringing all the voices to the table, including the environmental community. Um, And so that's the work that we have ahead (laughs) in that arena to change that. That is long-term work right now for us is, is, you know, holding, making sure that we swiftly resource any of our defense on policy that's happening during the state house that is anti-conservation and making sure that voters know what's going on. Mm -hmm. I think step one for most of this, I mean, we get in the weeds. We know the process. I can, t- I can, you know, I talk sometimes too much in policy terms. Um, but how do we shine a light on what's happening in that state house and allow voters to decide what does that mean to them? Right. And, and how do they choose to, to take that information to the polls? Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Because I mean, you can't. So, uh, you know, just just briefly coming back to what you said about this decision in 2012 of the Republican mm-hmm. Party to close their mm-hmm. primaries, like that's an internal decision yeah. within the Republican mm-hmm. Party of Idaho, right? So, I mean, and I don't know the likelihood that they're going to listen to, you know, you guys when you say, hey, your primary should be open. Already. <laughs> <laughs> I would bet slim to none on that one. Uh, <laughs> yeah, there are many things that I, I show up and, and ask it, but that is probably one that would not go very far. So. It's interesting, though, because, I mean, it's it's it almost seems in a certain way like a microcosm of some of like the the national political issues that we're dealing with. Mm -hmm. Right. Where like the Republicans that are running are the extreme right wing Republicans because they're the ones that are winning the primaries, Mm -hmm. um, even though they're not, you know, there's a section of um, the electorate that's like not being represented when those extreme right wing Republicans are running. Right. right. And I would definitely try to get beyond Republican and Democrat. Sure. For me at this sure. point, because I work in that state house, it's beyond Republican and Democrat. It's somebody who's pragmatic, who has common sense, like in intuition, who's yeah. willing to hear from folks and make sure that all voices are heard in the process. 
those are the folks that I can work with. I don't need everyone to vote my way 100% of the time. I just need to make sure that they're at least listening to to their constituents when they bring up concerns around conservation issues and that they, you know, create a process where all stakeholders are valued and and get out of the the dogmatic polarization of the issues. I mean, then it becomes theater and it's to the detriment of all Idahoans. And I mean, are there Republican legislators, um, like state legislators that, that you can have conversations yes, with that about? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I, every day. Because I don't think, I don't think people realize <laughs> people that. people don't you know. know. Yeah. Most of, yeah, every day there are folks in that state house, Republican and Democrat, who su- support our issues, who understand where we're coming from, who appreciate the work that we do to create transparency and create a voice for local communities to have a say when it comes to our natural resources. Yeah. There's also the other side of that coin on both sides, on both sides. <laughs> I, I definitely don't want to like, you know, rehash the 2016 election. Right. Mm-hmm. But I mean, I think that something that um, that I realized just by experiencing what I experienced mm-hmm. during that election cycle, you know, I attended the um, Democratic presidential caucus mm-hmm. um, and that caucus was remarkable. And then seeing you know, the results from that uh, Democratic uh, caucus process all across the state mm-hmm. of, of Idaho was really remarkable because it made it made me realize like, wow, like the Democrats that are here are extremely progressive. Mm-hmm. You know, the fact that 80 percent of the Democrats who participated in that caucus process, you know, uh, almost 80 percent of them mm-hmm. all across the state, you know, mm-hmm. not just in Boise, right. voted for this very progressive candidate mm-hmm. um, was quite remarkable to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I mean, I just, I guess I wonder, like, was that a surprise to you as well? Or, or were you just kind of like, yeah, we knew that. We knew that, like, there are a lot of really progressive people in this state, you well, know, because that's not the, like, people yeah. view our state as, like, this super extreme, like, the most extreme, you know, Republican state of all of them. But there's, there's a lot of nuance to that, you know, and... Uh, there is some. Yeah. Um, I mean, we don't engage in presidential politics. We right. so our focus is state, county, city, mm-hmm. um, and uh, you know, understanding when you when you talk about when I say supermajority, I mean out of a hundred and five legislators, there are seventeen Democrats. That's in the House and Senate total. Right. Right. Um, and so there are some committees where, you know, Democrats have a hard time getting a second on a motion. So mm-hmm. when we that then we talk about power dynamics in that way, about representation at the state house, mm-hmm. there is a supermajority. Um, so there is, you know, obviously when it comes to conservation issues, we we work across the political spectrum because we have to. But also that's the way we we do things because it's bringing all voices and, and, and understanding that those reflect actually Idaho communities mm-hmm. across the state. But when it when when folks try to you know, they bring up this idea of trying to pick apart or better understand the progressive community in Idaho. And, and they point um, to the 2016 elections, you know, and then they try to think about strategy going forward is how do we get Democrats then to participate in Republican primaries? And and I will say for um, my observations of that community is that, you know, they've just they obviously have had dwindling representation at the state house. Mm-hmm that obviously that they hold values that are in opposition of the majority party in the state and that they deeply, you know, those are deeply rooted and that there's not a much of a likelihood of them crossing over and identifying as a Republican anytime soon. Well, 
Sure, but at the same time, right? I mean, the fact that all these people voted in a Democratic primary or a caucus, mm-hmm. right? Um, they voted for the candidate who is actually not a registered Democrat, who's an independent. Right. Right. I so think I mean, like, like in the Idaho independent street. Yeah, yeah. It's beyond the Republican Democrat, mm-hmm. which exactly. I, exactly. And I think you it saw is. In the Democrat, yeah. You saw that in that caucus as well. Mm-hmm. Who we are is, is I think, rooted in our identity as Idahoans and what yeah. it meant to grow up here and what it means to, like, raise our families here mm-hmm. and work here. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not necessarily connected to the the part that the you know the parties themselves and right for sure and i mean i just think like i mean i this this memory will will stand out in my memory mm-hmm. of like being at that that caucus in the big you yep. know century link arena and the mayor getting up to give a speech in support of hillary clinton and getting booed mm-hmm. like crazy you know what mm-hmm. i mean it's just like wow oh my god this mayor who like a lot of people support and i think a lot of yeah. people thought was this progressive person and all of a sudden like he's getting up and you know supporting this candidate who's clearly deeply unpopular within Mm. this city and the state Mm -hmm. um, was like, wow. I mean, one of the things I took out of that was like, you know, oh, this, you know, this complex political situation in the state, Mm -hmm. it it does go beyond just Democrat, Republican. Yeah. Right. What I took out of it is I was really grateful. I don't work in presidential politics. (laughs) (laughs) I'm glad that I get to work with, you know, municipal races and talk about what, you know, city policy means Mm -hmm. to communities and finding common sense people to help push that. That's what I got out of it. (laughs) Awesome. Well, I, um, I do want to get into the science standards issue at this point. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, as I said, before we got into into, you know, this interview, this is a topic that is, I don't know, that, that I care very deeply about. I mean, as a, scientist you know Mm -hmm. that was sort of my first career um was as a biologist um and you know my wife is a teacher um she served on um science curriculum committees in the past um so i mean maybe just summarize this right Mm -hmm. for for us uh you know going back um yeah going back to 2016 um because this i mean this is now this is like a national story now right yeah um so like where did where did this where did this start um it started actually with a 2012 survey of the states back back in the day around um there was a national survey doing a study of curriculum standards science curriculum standards around the nation Mm -hmm. and idaho received an f on that and due to that f um not due to that F, but also because of that, in addition to that, <laughs> I don't want to, I don't want to put this a, st- a state department of education too much in a bad light here. Cause they do regularly bring committees together to review their standards. Mm-hmm. So that came at a time right when they were bringing together another committee to review the science standards that existed in Idaho. And the very first time that this round of science standards came before the legislature was 2016. So we heard fairly early on in the legislative session that the House Education Committee um, had some concerns around the the science standards. Um, and it actually never came up for a vote. So beforehand, there were some conversations and some folks tried to highlight that there was concerns around the process, whether they had left enough of an open public comment period and invited enough uh, public input onto the science standards. However, there was reports that had showed that the State Department of Education followed um, the procedures of, um, ne- of rural negotiations of, of when how the window is and how it must be posted and the amount of input that you take in. So the rules were followed, but there was concern that it wasn't enough and that they could do more. Mm-hmm. And so they leveraged that concern 
while also we heard in the background it was concerns over climate change, the Big Bang Theory, you know, the the theory of evolution um, that were included in those science standards that were getting giving some of those legislators pause and that there were some concerns and that they were going to reject them. So before they got to discuss them, um, uh, Superintendent Ybarra actually pulled back the standards from the docket um, before the House Education Committee and said, you know what, we're going to go through this process again. We will make sure that we bring in more input next time and we'll we'll see you next year. Um, so they had a series of open houses across the state between uh, uh, March 2016 and I believe it was like August 2016. And I actually attended one of those open hearings, the the one that was here in Boise. And I think we saw that one was I, the most attended and we saw around 45, 50. So there was an in-person opportunity, but the entire time there was also you could submit your comments online. So they tried to do both for folks who wanted that in-person opportunity to speak with the State Department of Education, to uh, speak to some of the folks that came together on that committee, those those teachers to develop those standards, to have a discussion. They made those available in, in locations around the state, north, south, east, central and here in Boise. Right. Um, and so, again, I attended the one here in Boise. There's around 50 folks there. And I would say there were maybe five folks who are in opposition um, to the science standards. And, and you know, they were pointing to Age of Earth stuff. Um, they were very positive that they found uh, dinosaur meat recently saying that the Earth is only 6,000 years old. I mean, they were bringing forward obviously something that they deeply ho- hold and believe in to the conversation. Um, and, and those comments were heard as equal as, as the teachers and the parents and, and all of the voices. And it was recorded. And that is the job of that process is to record how many are in support, how many are opposition, any particular comments of concern or interest that should be elevated that are submitted as a docket. Um, and due to that very thorough process, uh, we saw the State Department of Education in 2017 bring back a set of temporary rules. So temporary rules are a bizarre thing in that house. And I will tell you the amount of times that we see committees get get reeducated on the process and we ourselves as lobbyists remind ourselves of what that means. A temporary rule was that they were going to advance these standards for a year and then they were going to have a full negotiated rulemaking process to bring them back. So they knew in 2017, no matter what had happened, they were the science standards were going to come back this year. Um, So, uh, the temporary rules were in front of house education last year. Um, and I think most folks know um, that the result of that was representative Syme had made a motion. It was a substitute motion. The original motion that was actually made by uh, a Republican on the committee to accept the docket in full um, did not, uh, the, how did not uh, surpass the substitute motion that was made and got the votes to get it out of committee was the temporary rules um, accepted minus five paragraphs that had to do with climate change and human impact on the environment. Representative Syme was, he frames his concern that he wanted both sides of the issues to be taught. That, you know, while humans may have uh, a negative effect on the environment, they can also do some, you know, habitat restoration and they can recycle. Um, my reading of the standards, it didn't just, it did not allow teachers to teach that, right? That is the, you know, the process of, of education. It is that they not only understand what's happening in their natural environment, but also like, what can they do? 
<laughs> you know, for me is like, you know, trusting teachers. And that's the been the theme for, for most of this is while we as Conservation Voters for Idaho have engaged in this issue because we believe Idaho's children should be prepared to understand biodiversity and speciation and their natural environment so that they can also advocate and work to protect it. Um, that's a fundamental part of being, you know, a conservationist and, and being an Idahoan, I would say. However, that uh, those five paragraphs were taken out. Um, that committee uh, voted that out. And then the Senate Education Committee had a chance to review that. But because it was a temporary rule, if the Senate Education Committee did not accept those rules as presented by the House Education Committee, all of that, that entire temporary rule docket would have been struck. And then we would have been back to the 2001 standards. So... While the Senate Education Committee, which I think there's more of a there's more of a temperature there to be thoughtful, to trust that this committee of nationally recognized teachers and uh, you know the different organizations I know INL and Boise State University and the University of Idaho also were engaged in this process. That really the experts and leaders in education and science across the state should probably be the ones that we, you know, listen to. Uh, they could not adjust the way that that package had come to them. So instead of getting rid of all of the standards back to the 2001, they did accept the temporary rule. And we saw that hearing was actually in the middle of the day on in the middle of the week, as most committee hearings tend to be. And it was in the Lincoln Auditorium and, and 300 folks showed up for that to testify. Um, and the majority, if not all the testimony at that point in 2017 was in support of the original rules. The challenge was is that at that point, because of the type of rule, the Senate Education Committee could do nothing besides accept the rules as possible, as, as presented to them. I will say, I applaud the chairman of that committee. He did not take a vote with the day that they had heard and said that they were going to take a thoughtful pause and and reach back out to the House Education Committee to see if they would reconsider how they had, you know, the, the motion that they had made so that there was some conversation across the rotunda, which doesn't always happen. Normally, the bodies are fairly autonomous and they allow their colleagues, you know, in each chamber to do their work and then they vet it as it as it comes to them. Yet this was one of those unique scenarios. So there was a lot of national news around that, obviously. There's a, there's a lot of pushback, a lot of concern, not only from, um, you know, our point of view around making sure that we prepare the next generation to deal with the impacts of climate change mm-hmm. is first making sure that their education prepares them to understand climate change and the human impact on the environment, um, parents, teachers, industry. Knowing that they need a you know highly uh, skilled workforce to apply for these STEM jobs, mm-hmm. what does this say about the state of education in Idaho, and and how do we prepare our children for the jobs of the future if we're going to put politics into the classroom? Yeah. You know, I, you know, I'm a bit concerned. I'm not saying that everyone who sits at the state house has to be an expert on every issue. But that's the reason why we have these committees and why we have the agencies do these um, negotiating rule process is to bring consensus, to bring all the experts to the table and provide recommendations. Mm-hmm. And to have folks like Representative Scott Syme, who's a realtor, read these rules and line item them and and in and, and a political way, um, remove some of this is is a bit concerning. So once again, the temporary rules is right. moving forward. Teachers are teaching the new science standards minus those five paragraphs. Okay. 
they're going. The State Department of Education is doing it again. They're back out there collecting comments. This committee is doing more work, looking at specifically those five standards that were struck um, in the temporary rule. And, and changing and adding it, adding in some of the language, trying to hear the concerns of the committee, mm-hmm. listening to the voices, trying to make the best that they can. And, you know, we saw the State Department of Education report that that committee had put over a thousand hours of work into this, into these rules. Um, and they came back this year and we saw, uh, House Education, was it two weeks ago? Two weeks ago. Okay. Yeah, it was last week that they made the vote, but it was two weeks ago. It was a Thursday, Friday um, that they had they decided to open up the Lincoln Auditorium, which is the largest committee room in the state house, because they knew that once again, that there was going to be a lot of interest in this issue. Um, and they took testimony for two days. And not only were all the comments that were submitted overline in that interim, which were over a thousand and only five were in opposition at that point. Uh, the rest were in support of the robust, comprehensive science standards that we saw all of the testimony over the two days in support of the docket that was presented by the State Department of Education. Mm-hmm. Yet we continue to see pushback in that committee. Um, it was it was frustrating to see the gaveling down of some of the the folks who showed up to testify, like the students. Mm-hmm. There was there was a handful of really bright, really inspiring young people who were there to let this committee know, these elected officials know that they want access to the very best of education. Right. And that they know that climate change is something that their generation is going to have to deal with. Um, and and we also saw um, a, a lobbyist from Monsanto show up and say, hey, when we hire folks, these are the type of questions that we ask them. And if they can't answer them, these science-based questions, then we can't hire them. We need a workforce that's prepared to do the jobs of the future. Um, And we saw teachers, nationally recognized teachers that are talking about that these are Idaho standards, that, that, that they had worked countless hours and heard the feedback and brought consensus and are trying to make these robust standards um, including the supporting content so that we could support teachers in Idaho to do their work. I will say being a conservation lobbyist is not necessarily the most uh, thankful job at the state house. Uh, 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 teachers also have a really hard time in the state more so. Um, they, you know, we heard from representative McCrosty on the house education committee, who's a teacher himself, that they constantly feel under attack, right? It's underappreciated and that they're, that they're always in the, in the crosshairs and that the reason why these standards are so important and the supporting content is so important is that you provide guidance to teachers who are already overstretched, who are already overburdened and, and doing the very best they can. When we think of Idaho as having one of, you know, a shortage on teachers, especially thinking about teachers in rural communities, providing robust, comprehensive standards that have supporting content that help and support young and new teachers and teachers that are by themselves out in rural communities to write curriculum and set a a plan for their classroom. And and then seeing the political process going down at the state house was frustrating. So the House Education Committee decided to strike one standard and all of the supporting content, which was, again, there was a motion to accept them as full and it failed. Um, And then the substitute motion was to strike the one one standard and then all of the supporting content. And I will say that that is disappointing because it it ended up striking about 25 pages 
of the docket that was presented by the State Department of Education. Um, and it is once again taking a tool away from teachers to do their job mm -hmm. to give Idaho's children the very best. Mm -hmm. And I, it was based in politics. Right. So uh, we are now at the next phase. <laughs> I feel like I've been living in this science standard loop. Actually, that was the, it was uh, the day, the last day of testimony was Groundhog's Day. <laughs> Which I don't know if many of the legislators have seen that movie recently, but to be able to break out of this, we've got to do the right thing. Yeah. <laughs> and so today, actually, we'll see uh, the Senate Education Committee is taking it up. And because the rule is presented differently, it's a pending rule. It's not a temporary rule this year. The options are different. Okay. So last year, the, the, the Senate Education Committee had to accept or strike the whole docket. They had to accept the changes or strike the whole docket. Okay. This year, they've got three options. They can accept the changes that the House made, mm -hmm. or they can accept the docket as presented by the State Department of Education, or they can reject all the rules in, entirely. Mm -hmm. So as long as they don't concur with the changes that were made in the House, so any changes have to be done on a pending rule via a concurrent resolution, which means both committees agree to the edits. Okay. If they don't agree, then the rules will go forward as presented by the State Department of Education. If they make another motion that's a bit different, then if they have different motions, then they will, the rules will advance as presented by the State Department of Education. So I'm sure there will be high drama <laughs> because there is an opportunity here for this, for the Senate Education Committee to do the right thing. Um, and we know teachers are really hoping that this committee will do the right thing. And I get feedback from our members who are like, well, teachers can teach climate change. This is not, this is not denying them the opportunity to do that. Right. And it's true. And I know full and well that students here in the Treasure Valley, you know, Boise School District just got an award yep. for being one of the best school districts in the state, that they will continue to get the very best of education. Yep. I went to Payette High School. I'm concerned about students who go to Payette and to Filer and Burley and, you know, Ponderay and making sure that those students have an equal access to the very best of education so that those students can get great jobs. So while at this point it's, you know, there, of course, the, the supporting standards had a lot of stuff around climate change and fossil fuels and, you know, conservation issues are wrapped up in all of that. It's, it's, I'm really focused and, and, and hoping that the voices that are heard today are those of the teachers, educators, and, and of Idaho's children. Right. Um, and it's not really, it's not about climate change for me. Um, it's it's about what do we say about the future of the state and, and Idaho's children and the education that we provide them um, because it gets into the politics of climate change and then Idaho's children lose. And that's not fair to them. Right. I mean, it's 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 interesting because, you know, as you said, you you brought up this point and as something that, you know, your members have come to you uh, to, to tell you that, you know, like, yeah, I mean, teachers can do are not restricted from teaching these things, right? I mean, it's just the guidelines, mm -hmm. right? Um, and it's almost like, I mean, the reality of it is like, there's there's a lot of issues and a lot of problems with mm -hmm. um, the education system in, in Idaho. Um, and I mean, this feels almost like um, 
it's more about like as you said keeping politics out of those that decision making process right um and it's almost like uh man what's the word i'm thinking i'm trying to think of here um i don't know it's uh it's it it sets a dangerous precedent right um of like okay well is every time the you know the experts you know who are designing this curriculum like is you know is is does everything have to run through like um the censors at the idaho state legislature like before it can be approved i mean um it's and i will say i i've heard from other lobbyists who don't engage in conservation or education but for industry right are hearing from their clients that they're concerned around what does this make idaho look like right. it's embarrassing to the state right um these comments around flat earth um and you know having this fight now in this day and age when what we should be doing is making sure that again that there's the very best education for idaho's children we continue to rank bottom when it comes to education in the nation. Right. And that's sort of what I was getting at. It's like, this is not like, you know, it's, it's like if these science standards are passed, like it's not going to be like magic fix. Like, mm-hmm. oh, all of a sudden Idaho is rated like right. in the top five states right. for education. Right. Um, it's more like, whoa, if, you know, if, if the legislature has the ability to, to censor mm-hmm. this stuff, like then, you know, how is this ever going to get any better? You know, like, right. or like, could it even get any, could it even get worse? Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, no, it, it continues to be one that uh, is frames where they're just trying to ensure that we, we stop the political fight that we're having around our children's education. Mm-hmm. I think that's the most frustrating part. Yeah. Yes. I, you know, I understand that a changing climate has an impact on Idaho's economy and has, you know, on, on our well-being, on our health, on our natural resources. And while I think about policy every day and how we want to make sure we provide children with the education that helps them understand their environment, it this fight isn't about that at this point. It's gotten to the political side of it. And we've got to we've got to get past that. And I and I hope and um I think you know, we might see something different out of the Senate Education Committee, or at least some more thoughtful conversation. So I think this afternoon will be definitely interesting. Either way, I know we're going to see this saga come to a close, but I'm sure there will be a next chapter in, you know, how does politics interfere um, in the state house when it comes to doing the right thing on all sorts of policy? Um, right now, science standards is that platform where we're seeing it most evident. Um but, um, you know, and I will say I have to probably declare rule 38. My my husband is a research hydrologist and, and a climate scientist. So <laughs> while at home, I hear every day the importance of climate science and climate education. Um, I also go into that state house understanding that environment. And, and my fight now isn't, uh, you know, isn't beating the drum on that. It's just trying to make sure that we give the very best to Idaho's children. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So um, I kind of want to just take a moment to like, hey, make sure that I fully understand everything that you explained about yeah. like what's going on at this moment, because, mm-hmm. you know, there's a lot of like, um, I think 
like the various rules mm -hmm. and the process mm -hmm. um, through which these decisions are made um, at the Capitol is, you know, by the Idaho State Legislature is like, I think, um, I, I think it's a barrier for people to like get engaged, engaged yeah. right? Because it's hard to understand exactly what like, do you ask your legislator to do? Vote right. yes, vote no. Right, exactly. Motion to accept the doctrine <laughs> O-2-1304-18, you know? <laughs> yes. Yeah. So, um... Weird, weird. You don't... <laughs> <laughs> So like, couldn't this process be a little simpler? Um, but uh, I mean, no. So I mean, you know, I, um, I mean, my plan is is to uh, uh, to sit in on mm -hmm. um, on that hearing this afternoon, um, and you know, show people a little bit about what that process looks like. Mm -hmm. um, You'll actually get a great chance. So <laughs> what's interesting as you as we talk about the challenge of rules and understanding rules and what votes does that mean? We actually saw that play out in the House Education Committee about an hour and a half in uh, to the first day of testimony on that Thursday. They had to bring in Dennis Stevenson, who understands the whole rule process for the state, sort of manages that and knows all the ins and outs, come and do a presentation on what they were voting on that day. They went in an hour and a half after the presentation by the department, after already hearing some testimony and had to clarify, because they first thought that they were only voting on the five paragraphs that were removed from the temporary rule. Right. But because it was a temporary rule, the entire docket was in front of them as a pending rule. And so the up for discussion was the entire docket of science education standards, not just the five that were struck because of climate change and human impact on the environment. Um, and that, <laughs> that the entire docket had to move forward or the ones that they had passed last year would go away. Mm -hmm. Um, so even those who are the professionals in that building still need some clarification every once in a while. And we'll see Dennis Stevenson do that presentation in front of the Senate Education Committee this afternoon before the docket. So Senate oh, Education okay. Committee is preparing their members ahead of time to fully understand what this means for them and what the process is. So you'll get another sort of quick um, educational moment to understand what that looks like. And, and I'm sure Dennis does a great job of explaining the difference between the temporary rule and the pending rule and why pending rules must be accepted by both chambers and any edits must be a concurrent resolution and rules are then sent to the floor in an omnibus bill and just the bills voted on so members of the floor don't actually vote on the individual rules by the way so folks who want to reach out to their elected officials who don't sit on the education committee their elected officials will never actually have a vote on it so mm -hmm. rules are a different animal and they are harder to understand and i and i think that also lends the reason why it feels like uh, a groundhog's day <laughs> 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 we just can't seem to get it right or know where we are or <laughs> uh, yeah i mean it's 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 interesting you know i mean i i saw like the the story that came out last week um mm -hmm. you know about the initial vote yeah um and I didn't, yeah, I had no concept. Like when you, I mean, you called me last night to let me know mm -hmm. that this uh, addition of the Senate committee hearing yep. was happening today. And I'm like, I thought that I thought it was already decided. I had no idea that that was, you know, mm -hmm. um, that this, there was still a chance for this to, to turn around because of the committee in the Senate could, you know, make a different decision. Yeah, that's um, the hard part. We've been emailing our members to let them know. Um, we did do an action alert for folks who wanted to participate in this process and lend their voice around the science standards. 
um, at the beginning of session. And then anyone on that list has, we uh, have emailed regularly to give them updates around mm-hmm. where the process is. We have also used a new platform recently, a texting platform that folks can opt in via text message mm-hmm. um, and they can get updates around mm-hmm. what's moving when, whether it's a science standards or a public lands issue or mm-hmm. so and so. So um, that continues to be mm-hmm. a challenge is how do we not only create transparency, but let folks know what's going on in the process and how they can get involved. I mean, this is what I do (laughs) for work and it's still, it's still chasing things out and like looking every day and refreshing agendas and trying to follow, you know, the Fox down the hole and where did he go next? Um, It's complicated. Mm -hmm. And I get why folks get frustrated by the process and sometimes, you know, you know, less, uh, it's less glamorous for them, right. To, to, you know, for us, we think about democracy and and policy and, and how, you know, at least I do, (laughs) right. This grand idea of how do we come together? And then I remind myself that sometimes it's an inaccessible system for many. Um, and, and so my job is how do I make it more accessible? Mm -hmm. And we continue to strive to that end day in and day out. While the while the system changes just a little bit, <laughs> yeah. um, and the rules shift here and there, but this that's the long term work here. Well, it's critically important work, mm-hmm. and I thank you for nah. doing it. Um, I mean, just as like a final note here, um, I mean, maybe you can just walk us through. You you explained um, that there would be this this process um, at the outset to sort of explain, mm-hmm. you know, what was even being voted on. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, maybe you can just kind of go through briefly, like step by step, like what, you know, what folks might expect to see, like what, you know, what do you expect to see um, this afternoon? So Dennis Stevenson, who uh, manages all of the rules for the state, uh, will come and do a presentation. So he'll be invited by the chairman, um, Chairman Mortimer, Mm -hmm. to come. Actually, it'll be uh, because it's a rule. Rules are chaired by the vice chair. So it'll be okay. Senator Thane who will be chairing the committee. Okay. Um, so Senator Thane will invite St- uh, Dennis Stevenson to do a presentation to make a clarification of what this rule is um, and clarify the types of motions and votes that they can make and allow members of the committee to ask any questions. You know, so if I want to make a motion to do this, to do this, how would I do it? Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> he is the keeper of the rules and sort of the parliamentarian for negotiated rulemaking. Um, and then the State Department of Education will come and be invited to present their docket to the Senate Education Committee to talk about the hours that were put into it, the science standards themselves, how we're back, um, and then be open to questions from the committee. Mm-hmm. And the members of the committee, I'm sure, will ask lots of questions about the process, around um, how many comments they got. Um, again, you know, we saw out of that process highlighting that over thousands of hours were put into creating the content mm-hmm. and standards. And then there will be invited for public testimony. And so folks who arrive at the Senate Education uh, Committee this afternoon that want to testify, there's a sign-in sheet right inside the door. So when you walk into the committee door, either on the left or the right, there's tall coffee tables um, and there's a clipboard. 
and you sign your name and you sign a phone number. And if you represent an organization, you can say that organization. If you're representing yourself, you say yourself and you say what you're interested for. What is your, what are you in visiting the Senate Education Committee for? So you can write science standards. Some people will write the docket number. That's not required. So you can write science standards and it can say your position, whether you support or oppose. And if you want to testify or not. So even folks who are a little nervous about the process of testifying in front of a committee who support the science standards as is can show up at the committee, sign in, put their name and put that they support the science standards and choose not to testify. Um, But then the page will come take that clipboard and take it to Senator Thane. And as he's calling for public testimony, he'll read down the list and invite folks who have signed up to testify in the order that they signed on. So that also makes like, if you're running short, you can't be there the whole time, get there early, sign onto the list early um, so that you have a chance to testify and not wait behind everyone. Um, And so, and likely we saw this in, it is up to the discretion of the chair, um, but likely they will time testimony. And we saw that in house education and there was fair warning in advance that all testimony would be kept to three minutes. That's not every time you testify in front of the legislature, but on issues where they expect lots of turnout and lots of folks to want to have something to say and the opportunity to testify, they limit it. Um, And so that's fairly common. Um, so, and for folks who testify, just to give you a, a little bit of insight, there is decorum in the committee room. Um, they ask that you don't cheer or boo or react to different comments that are made by the committee members or folks who are testifying. We saw some gaveling last uh, time. This was in the House Education Committee when an inspiring student made a really great closing statement. The room had cheered and there was some gaveling. Um, so they ask that you take, remain respectful, keep your comments to the time that you're testifying and that you address it through the chairman. So at all points, you address the chairman and, you you know, chairman, committee members, I'm here to ask you or to vote and support or to support the science standards as presented by the State Department of Education because of so-and-so. Um, and that if any members at that point can ask you a question after you're done with your testimony, they don't traditionally ask questions of citizens, of folks coming in, but they may. Um, and if they do, um, you direct your answers through the chairman and then the committee member. So let's say um, uh, Senator Crabtree asked me a question. I would say, you know, chairman, Senator Crabtree, and then I would um, answer them. But I will say, you know, you, most folks, regular folks don't get gaveled down for not following the rules. The chairman will politely remind you to work through the chair. <laughs> no, you know, everyday folks are not expected to be experts on this. I only say that so people feel more comfortable um, if they'd like to. We actually do provide folks if they ever are interested. We did a legislative 101 at the beginning of session to really give people an idea of what the process is, how a bill becomes law, points in the process that you can engage, and some tips on testifying. So um, we'll continue to offer that at the beginning of session if folks generally want to know how to get engaged with um, the legislative process. But yeah, there will be public input. Once all the input is taken, the committee may or may not vote on it at the end of all the testimony. We saw that in the House Education Committee where they heard all the testimony and decided that they would take the vote the next week, that they would sit and absorb Mm -hmm. and all of that. So we may not get a vote this afternoon. 
but or we, they're just worried about the reaction that the big crowd will get if they vote against it, right? Right. Well, we all. There's there's some of that, but I know there was some national news media that were there that Thursday and Friday, so right. I think that they were trying to quell some of the national media flames of paying right. a, of what might have been the outcome of that vote mm-hmm. and pushing that off to when they had already traveled home and were sure. no longer here. So, um. Yeah, so we don't know if we'll get a vote or not. The process will be described. We'll hear some folks testify. I think it will center on the supporting content because, again, that's what the House took out uh, of the standards was all the supporting content, which is 25 pages of the docket that was presented. So explain what the supporting content is because I think everybody's – I mean, not everybody, but I think maybe people that are following this have, you know, maybe mm-hmm. seen the the snippets that are connected to climate change yeah. uh, science mm-hmm. that were mm-hmm. put out. But um, explain this other, yeah, much more comprehensive thing. So supporting content is uh, the the guidance of how to get to a standard, right? Yeah. And I know Representative Ehart actually she used a basketball analogy during the House educate the House testimony was that like, well, you tell me to win and then I win and it's fine. Well, supporting content is like, well, work on dribbling or passing or that this is a play mm-hmm. on offensive play and this is a defensive play. It's it's the recipe of how do we get to this standard of our students knowing this, sure. where we it's inquiry based and, yeah. and we we allow them to do learning concepts and building the blocks on top mm-hmm. of each other, getting to this certain point. So it really does provide the supporting content provides that framework for um, educators to piece together curriculum to get to the standard. Mm-hmm setting teachers up to success you know (laughs) sounds kind of nice in my book (laughs) just give us one more reminder like there are three options as far as how they might vote well right i mean they could do many options Ah, so So they so yes they could accept the they could accept the rules as as edited by the house education committee right the motion that struck the supporting content and the standard or they can make a motion to accept all the standards and scrap all the supporting content. Okay. Or they can strike a, two different standards, right? They could do anything that they want with these standards. Okay. Honestly, if there's something else that that they find they take issue with, they could take that standard out. Mm-hmm. However, if their action varies from the House Education's action, then the docket will advance as presented by the State Department of Education in whole with supporting content with all the standards intact. Wait a second. So you're saying that- They have to concur with the House. So if they disagree with what the House Mm -hmm. Education Committee, Mm -hmm. which they've already voted, right? So they can't change their mind. And if the Senate says something different, Mm -hmm. then their recommendations, which are different from the House, Mm -hmm. like won't actually go through. Correct. And- the what? rules as presented will be put into an omnibus bill. At, right. And Which is what we on. want. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, but. <laughs> so as long as they don't agree with the house. So there's lots good. of options. Right. So it's like, yeah. yes and no. There's lots of options. So there's lots of options, but really only two potential outcomes. Yes. Gotcha. Okay. Right. The weird world of rules. <laughs> <laughs> Fascinating. Well, cool. I mean, I am, uh, I'm excited to, yeah. you know, observe this process. Um, and, uh. Yeah, I think we'll probably come back and do a little live stream this afternoon to uh, show folks 
what uh, what what's going like. on. Yeah. Lovely. Yeah. Well, yeah. thank you for your time. Thank you for shining a light on the advocacy stuff and and giving just a little bit of, of time for folks who generally think of conservation and environmental issues to think a little bit about the politics that affect those issues because it's all interconnected. And absolutely, and, mm-hmm. absolutely. And thank you for your time. I mean, and thank you for what you do. It's yeah. crucially important work. <laughs> Thank you so much. Have a good one. Yeah. And now we'll go to the Idaho State Capitol building, where the Senate Education Committee held its hearing and accepted public testimony on this issue last week. I'd like to welcome everyone that's come to testify. This could be a uh, a daunting experience to come and testify in front of the legislative committee, so feel at ease and enjoy yourself. Uh, we have approximately 12 to 15 individuals that wish to, wish to testify, so I think we can get everyone in. And we'll just uh, head down the list. Uh, I'll call a, do we have any room to sit up front, maybe? I'll, I'll call a couple out, and uh, then when one finishes, the next can. Start making your way here. Okay, now, yeah, we're talking about uh, uh, docket number 08-02-03-1705, commonly known as the science standards. And so first up is Chris Taylor and then Alan Humble. Chris, welcome, state your name and uh, who you represent. Thank you, Chairman and members of the committee. My name is Chris Taylor. I am the Science and Social Studies Supervisor for the Boise School District. I am also a member of the committee that's been working on these science standards for the last three years. And I am in favor of the standards. And what I really want to talk to you about today is about the supportive content piece, because I know that's been a big question. So I have a couple points I'd like to make on that supportive content. Um, As you know, the committee consisted of 19 people, K-12 educators, We had university professors there, we had people from the industry, we had scientists, and we had patrons there as well. And over hundreds of hours we spent on these, trying to create these robust performance standards coupled with the supporting content that encourages both science inquiry and critical thinking. The performance standards truly outline how students will perform and demonstrate mastery, while the supporting content provides the details highlighting concepts of science to help teachers make instructional decisions. Our proposed standards ensure that all K-12 students will interact with the full complement of science concepts throughout their education. To provide one without the other is truly a disadvantage for teachers and students. I like to use use the analogy of it's like a coin. To have science, you have to have one side of the coin, which is process. The other side of the coin is content. You can't have one without the other. Here's an example I'd like to give you. One of the fourth grade performance standards is this. Analyze and interpret data from maps to describe patterns of Earth's features. That's a standard. It's pretty vague, but it tells what the students need to do for an assessment. Here's what the supporting content says underneath that. The location of mountain ranges, deep trenches, ocean floors, structures, earthquakes, volcanoes occur in pattern. Most of these occur on the boundaries of continents and oceans. Major mountain chains form inside continents and on their edges. Maps can help locate different land and water features. That supporting content tells teachers what they need to teach students to prepare to perform for that standard. As you can see, there's a wealth of information that's supporting content. And without that in there, I feel 
It'd be very broad and it would burden our teachers to interpret those. I've been conducting professional development on these new standards the last three years and have um, professionally developed 400 or more elementary and secondary teachers. And that supporting content has been a huge help to prepare teachers on the content and the processes to demonstrate at each grade level. It's truly in a K-12 progression so that teachers in middle school can see what the content is they're teaching in the elementary and vice versa and high school can see the um, middle school. As you know, last year, this committee, my science committee, reworked the recommendation of one standard and four supporting contents. I've talked to many of you personally, and we worked hard on revamping those standards to get to you. However, last week, we were stripped of one standard, but we're also stripped of 25 pages of our document of supporting content. And you know that we've taken public comment, over a thousand pieces of public comment, and 99% of those have been very positive. The final thing I want to mention about the content standards, and I think I heard Senator Guthrie talk about it, is the other contents don't have supporting content. I talked to the representatives, and I disagree a little bit with that. Um, I'm also social studies, so I don't have the social studies standards as well. And I believe the math and social studies standards do have supporting content. The social studies document is 64 pages, by the way. Our science document proposed is 73 pages. And the goal of, in social studies, we can say goals. So here's a goal in social studies. Build the understanding of democracy. See, Mr. Taylor, you're, you're over a little bit, so. Okay. Um, so there is that goal, and then underneath those, they have the actual content. In math, a 93-page document, they also have a specific goal that says students relate to volume with operations of multiplication and division. And then underneath that, it tells how they're going to do that using rectangular prisms. So there is content in both of those. So thank you again for listening to me. And I do want to make sure you understand that the supporting content is key in this document to create science literate, critical thinking students. Thank you. Thank you. Any questions? And Mr. Taylor, if you have some notes, yeah, there you yeah, go. We can love you. Okay. Hearing no questions? Uh, well, there is a question. Oh, okay. Senator Guthrie. Not a question, just a comment. It's really important to me to know that the supporting content is consistent in other arenas of education. So we can get that answered later, but just a comment, Mr. Chairman. Okay, thank you. Senator Dan Harkon. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Thank you, Mr. Taylor. I appreciate you being here. Um, so do you believe it is the state's responsibility to set and establish and design content, or is that something that you would typically expect? You're talking about state down to teachers, but we're missing a level there. We have school districts in there who have curriculum directors, and you know, I know it's not the same for all school districts across Idaho. Mr. Taylor? Senator Thane and Senator Denhartog. I do believe these standards are very similar to the standards we have in math and social studies where they have some specific contents, but then what individual school districts should do is they make that curriculum piece to fit the needs of their students. So for example, in our district, we have had all these standards in place, but then we can add pieces to that to fit the needs of our students. So I do believe these supporting contents are really important, and it, it is the content that the kids need to know to perform those assessments, those expectations, I think. Senator Warden King. Thank you, Mr. Chairman, and thank you, Mr. Taylor, for being here as always. Uh, I just, um, it seemed to me that uh, as a beginning teacher, one of the first things you do is you, when you have a, uh, you know, teaching a grade level is you, you go and you 
pull up all the standards because those are required, I believe, by to be taught. So could you just talk a little bit about that? Absolutely. Mr. Senator Thane and Senator Wardenko King. I agree 100%. These supporting content pieces are huge, especially for elementary teachers that don't have that background in science. And as new teachers, and the teachers I've done professional development to, we look at that supporting content saying, okay, here's the content pieces. Here's this inquiry piece where we want kids to do the science. But we've got to know this content piece to get them to even perform at those levels. So I do believe that content is really important. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Thank you, and uh, Mr. Rob and uh, the committee, when we get done with the testimony, we'll take a few minutes to visit with Mr. Rob about the, the, the rule. Mr. Humble and then uh, Angela Hemingway. Thank you. Uh, Senators, thanks for the opportunity. Thank you for reminding me of this uh, meeting this morning. Please state um, your name. I'm Alan Humble. Uh, I'm a citizen. I'm not an educator. Um, I'm a retired guy who just cares a lot about education. Um, the first thing I would have to say is that I pulled the standards um, out of the stack of material that I got from the Department of Education over the last few days. These are a few of hundreds of standards that I tried to pile through the last couple of nights. Oh, holy crap. <laughs> Teachers are to be, are to be praised uh, really almost no matter what they're trying to teach. But let me just tell you what I found. I'm gonna give you an example of a first grade, a second grader, um, uh, a fourth grader, and I know we may not have that. So it's just gonna be first, second, middle school, and high school. These are some of the standards that, I, that, that kind of caught my attention. So if a kid in first grade is going to be talking or is going to try to learn something about the impact, you go to standard ESS 3.C, and it says things we want them to think about are things that people do that comfortably can affect the world around them, but they can make choices that reduce the impacts on land, water, air, and other living things. Okay, that's a good uh, offering for a five or a six or a seven-year-old, and probably something they can understand. No mention of climate change or global warming, okay? Uh, second grader, um, and this regards uh, ESS 2.D, weather and climate. Uh, three bullet points. The foundation of our global climate is electromagnetic radiation, reflection, absorption, storage, redistribution among the atmosphere, oceans, and land systems. Second bullet point. Gradual atmospheric changes are due to plants and other organisms that capture and redistribute oxygen. Third bullet point. Changes in the atmosphere due to human activity have increased carbon dioxide concentrations and thus affect climate. There's your first reference to it, but it also is among two other bullet points that tends to balance the picture, as I would view it. And the second to the last one is middle school. There are three bullet points under ESS 3.0, and this is for, you know, kid in seventh grade. First one, first bullet point, human activities can have consequences, negative and positive, on the biosphere. Sometimes uh, altering habitats and causing the extinction of species. The second bullet point, technology and engineering can potentially mitigate these uh, problems. Third bullet point, mitigation changes in climate um, can be understood by a review of climate science, scientific <coughs> models, uh, greenhouse gassing, among others. Uh, other surface temperature uh, cause variations like uh, the way that the electromagnetic fields are distributed and the Earth's axis all affect climate uh, issues. Again, no direct references to climate change in there. And then lastly, for a high school student, two bullet points, ESS 2.0, and the first one says further explanations about 
how to explain energy flows into and out of your systems. And Mr. Humble, your, your time's up, so if you could wrap up. Sure, I'd be happy to. My point is on all of these that they go to great lengths of describing all the scientific basis for changes in global environment, whether it's warming or whatever it happens to be. And I only counted one of the eight references, scientific references that are taught in the standards that mention anything about global warming or climate change. Thank you very much. Thank you. Any other questions? Yeah. Seeing none, thank you. Thank you. Appreciate it. Oh, can you grab I'm sorry. Uh, Angela Hemingway. No, and then, uh, let me see. Grab it. Okay, we, we've got the person identified. Angela, go ahead. <laughs> thank you. Thank you, members of the committee. Uh, thank you for hearing my testimony today. And I'm Angela Hemingway. I'm the executive director of the STEM Action Center. And I began uh, teaching in Idaho in 1999. And I joined the uh, Science Standards Committee with the State Department in 2005. So I perhaps am one of the longest serving members on that committee. I've been on there for 13 years. And as, as you may recognize, the new science standards are certainly different from the current standards we have, which were developed in 2001. So the old standards use words such as explain for a particular concept. And the proposed standards use words such as evaluate for evidence or combine and obtain evidence a very different way of thinking, teaching, and learning. The old standards might use the word apply, and the new standards use plan and conduct. Measure is replaced with construct. And the word use from the old standards is placed, uh, replaced with develop and use. And there's also some important reasons that we decided to leave in the, uh, the supporting content, which uh, Mr. Taylor alluded to a little bit. But the first goal of the supporting content was that it provides local relevant examples that teachers could use. And if you look in the supporting content, there is the word could. You could use these examples. You may use these examples. These are simply uh, choices for teachers that, that, as was indicated, new teachers might be struggling uh, with some examples that they would use that would be age appropriate, relevant, and local. So those really are some of the keys. And in addition, you'll see that the supporting content was also intended to describe um, what I view as really important, which is STEM. So it's not just about science, but it shows how it's also potentially connected to math, uh, technology, and engineering as well. And then finally, uh, the supporting content shows a progression of complexity in student thinking. So you'd be able to find um, me as a, as a former high school teacher would be able to understand what that child learned in middle school and elementary school so that I could learn on how to build on what they've learned on it and, and move them forward. So with that, um, thank you for hearing my testimony and I would stand for questions. Thank you very much. Questions of Ms. Hemingway? Seeing none, thank you. And the last gentleman I, who I called his name didn't want to testify. So the, the next one up is uh, Christopher Sebastian. And then after Christopher, we'll have Veronica Richmond. Mr. Sebastian. 
Thank you, Mr. Chairman and uh, members of the committee. Uh, it's not every day that you hear a Brit speaking to the Idaho legislature. Um, I was surprised not to hear anyone shout out that the British were coming and I was walking past that Please stay tuned. Christopher, my name is Christopher Sebastian and uh, I'm representing myself here today. Thank you. Uh, but it's a pleasure to uh, address you, um, Mr. Chairman and members of the committee. Um, I have a son named Albert. Um, who was born on November eighteenth, uh, two thousand sixteen? Uh, he's happy, healthy, and he's also ridiculously cute. Um, <clears throat> sorry. Um, as his parent, I'm excited about what the future holds for him, and I'm confident that he will make good choices. I also fear for his future, from when he'll experience his first rejection from the girl he wishes to take to prom, to experiencing losing someone. I'm also fearful about whether the quality of education that he will receive here in Idaho will be good enough to propel him forward in the right direction. Now, I'm a believer of these new science standards, and I believe that they teach our children, my child included, the natural wonders of the world in which we live in, how we can better our stewardship of it and the facts that pertain to it. Science standards were drafted by the men and women that have been given the great responsibility to mentor, mentor our children in the classroom. And I trust them because of one simple reason, they're at the forefront of all. So I do urge you um, to approve these new science standards. And um, again, I'm a believer of uh, the, the teachers uh, who, who again have that great responsibility to, uh, to mentor our children. And uh, that is my brief testimony. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Any questions? Seeing none, thank you. And if you could leave your testimony, it helps with the minutes. Uh, next is Veronica Richmond and then Jamie Richmond. <coughs> You'll have to ask him. Uh, hello, Mr. Chairman and members of the committee. My name is Veronica Richmond. Um, happy Valentine's Day, for me. And do you guys remember me? Because I spoke to this committee last year um, concerning these same science standards, in addition to speaking to the House Education Committee on February 2nd um, this year on the same issue. As you can tell, um, my and my peers' education is very important to me. Um, I'm 12 years old, and my education is a major part of my life. I go to Treasure Valley Math and Science Center, and I really love to learn. Without these standards, my fellow students and I will be inadequately prepared for the challenges of tomorrow. How are we to address and solve problems if we don't know what they are or what caused them? How are we going to advance the field of science when we don't even know what all already exists? The answer in two words is we aren't. The generation of Idahoans to come won't know how to tackle issues heading their way. Fortunately, we can prevent this devastating future before it starts by adopting the standards presented by the State Department of Education. These standards in full will produce engaging Idaho citizens ready to compete in the world. In closing, I would like to quote the National Aeronautics and Space Administration, also known as NASA. Um, their quote is from February 13, 2018. The current warming trend is of particular significance because most of it is extremely likely, greater than 95% probability, to be the result of human activity since the mid-20th century and proceeding at a rate that is unprecedented over decades to millennia. Please don't make me come back next year to, to testify to get these standards into our education. <laughs> Thank you guys so much. Any questions? 
Thank you for that. There, there is a question. We do have, and maybe we do want you back next year. Thank you. More Thank you, Mr. Chairman. I was just going to say she's getting very good at that. Thank you. Yeah, we are. It's a good deal. Well, uh, Senator uh, Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Uh, it is good to see you again, and I think you're about six inches taller than that. <laughs> I don't know when you're going to stop growing, but it's great to see you down here, and thanks for having the courage to thank you. come and testify. Further questions? Thank you very much. Next, we'll have Jamie Richmond and then Rod Grammer. Hello, Chairman Mortimer and Senate Education Committee. My name is Jamie Richmond, and I belong to Veronica Richmond. <laughs> um, I'm a second generation native Idahoan, born and educated preschool through my bachelor's degree at Boise State University. So I had all my education in Idaho. I'm raising two science and Idaho loving girls who attend Idaho public schools. When this topic came about last year and I first heard about it, I talked with both of my girls about what was going on. I said that the legislature was striking science standards relating to climate change and extinction. Um, I told them that they were not adopting the minimum science, science standards that teachers could teach that were presented to the legislature by the State Department of Education. My girls couldn't understand why these people wouldn't listen to the educators and administrators, aka the education professionals, and adopt the science standards. I've tried to teach my girls to get ahead of problems. I teach them to listen to professionals and trust that they are doing their job. Don't act like you know more than the professionals. I feel like the professionals have done their due diligence for three plus years, and those professionals have presented a complete and up-to-date science content for you today. Please adopt all the standards and let our Idaho teachers teach the minimum standards and use the supporting content so my daughters and other Idaho students can think critically and solve problems that exist today. And I just want to say, I think I have a little bit more time. I was at the House, well, Veronica and I both spoke to the House Education Committee, and then my other daughter and I went to the uh, vote, and it was very interesting to hear some of the uh, representatives say, well, I trust the teachers in the classroom to teach what they do. And I kept going back to what Senator Ward Engelking said last year, her comment this year about when she was a first year teacher, she looked to those science standards and knew that that was the minimum that had to be taught. And I thought, isn't that interesting? I wonder how many new teachers don't go above that because they don't know that they can or what to do, or they're just so overwhelmed in their beginning edu of education. Sorry, beginning educating students. Um, then it was interesting because um, Representative McCrosty asked, how many of these people were paid in this committee? And um, the answer, they brought some gentleman up, uh, Superintendent Barr said, I can't answer that. I have to get someone else up here to do so. And he said, no one was paid. This was all volunteer. We never paid anyone. It was teachers. It was administrators. It, were, it was the professionals. Um, and McCrossy had said, well, let's trust those teachers. They, we've asked them to, to give us this information. We have it. Why are we now striking things out again? And I went home and I thought about that. I thought, those really are the professionals. They've been asked to do this multiple times. They've met with <laughs> so many so. people. So I just, please listen to the professionals. But I'm not your mother. <laughs> <laughs> 
Thank you very much. Are there any questions? Oh, sorry. Hearing none, thank you very much. So next is Rod Grammer, and then uh, I believe it's Teresa Matoka. Mr. Chairman and members of the committee. You're <laughs> <laughs> My name is Shauna Walls. I'm Vice President of Idaho Business for Education. And today I am speaking on behalf of Rod Grammer, President of IBE, and the 200 business leaders who are members of Idaho Business for Education. Idaho businesses desperately need more workers who hold post-secondary credentials in the area of STEM, science, technology, engineering, and math. Without STEM-educated workers, our existing businesses will not be able to expand, and it will be more difficult to attract good businesses to our state. High and rigorous standards, standards that are based on the latest science, form the foundation we need to prepare students for these 21st century careers. Unfortunately, our state has not yet approved the comprehensive and high standards that our students need. You have an opportunity to fix that by approving the standards that are before you. To do anything less than approving these standards as written will send the wrong message to students, educators, business leaders, and to the potential businesses that might consider locating to our state. IBE urges you to approve the science standards as written so that our educators can move forward in preparing our students for the thousands of STEM-related jobs that our employers demand and that will lead to a stronger Idaho economy. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Thank you. Uh, any questions? Seeing none, thank you very much for your testimony. Uh, next, next, we have Teresa Matoka, and then Adam Thompson. Please. Good afternoon, Mr. Chairman and members of the committee. My name is Teresa Matoka. I'm a leader in the Climate Justice League and a senior at Boise High. I'm here today in support of the updated science content standards, and I want to start by sharing a quote with you. The function of education is to teach one to think intensively and to think critically. Intelligence plus character, that is the goal of true education. The updated standards include reference to climate change and biodiversity, two important subjects for any student, but especially those in Idaho. All right, that was our coverage of the debate over science standards in Idaho, which included our interview with Rielin Flores from Conservation Voters for Idaho. If you enjoyed this episode, or if you didn't, we would love for you to share your thoughts and feelings on this topic in the EOC Podcast Facebook group. As we mentioned in our last episode, we're trying really hard to find ways to better engage with our listeners, and this Facebook group is currently the best platform we have for this. So let us know what you think. You can find the EOC Podcast Facebook group by going to wildlensinc.org slash EOC community. We'll also share that link on the show notes page for this episode, which you can find at wildlensinc.org slash EOC 141. Today's episode was produced by myself, your host, Matt Podolsky, and edited by Catherine Dunning. Our theme music is by The Humidors. 